Coming up this hour, we're going to hear an interview from Dr. Fauci, and then we're going to interview Matt Sorens, U.S. Director of Church Mobilization for World Relief. That's coming up next here on The Common Good. Everybody, welcome to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you joining us today on this Wednesday afternoon. And uh, we are excited to be together. Although, Ian, how did you feel when you woke up and it was snowing outside? Uh, probably words I'm not allowed to say on the radio. <laughs> In general, it was, it was just sort of a... Oh, come on. It's exactly. I told my son, my son came down. I was already downstairs and our the window shades were all closed. I said, hey, man, open the window. He goes, why? I go, just open the window. And he looked at me and he opened it and he just goes, oh, come on. Oh, what's, what's interesting is that I'm not really typically a look at the weather for the next day kind of guy. Maybe yeah. I should. And had I done that, I wouldn't have been surprised. I just didn't know it was coming. And I've been trying to be really intentional about, you know, limiting uh, my news intake and turning it off at night and all that. So I, I was like legitimately surprised. I like opened the window. I was like, am I hallucinating? What is this? It was, <laughs> it was very bizarre. It was bizarre. So uh, another, uh, you know, hopefully the weather will, will turn around here. But all of us in our homes, uh, just making the best of all it is what is going on. And, and as we've been doing in this first segment, uh, we just like to kind of catch up on things. And so uh, I was looking online today and saw that yesterday, was the highest number of deaths in a day recorded uh, mm-hmm. after several days of a downward trend in the country. But yet then there's also uh, some positive indicators. And so it's really hard to kind of make your way through it. And that's why I thought it would be good to listen to this four-minute interview that Dr. Fauci, all of us have gotten to know who Dr. Fauci is, uh, that he did on the Today Show this morning. So let's listen to that, uh, and then we will comment on it. And with understanding that every state, every country, every region, every community is different, what in your mind are the absolute musts, the absolute prerequisites that any community, state or region must have in place in order to lift these mitigation guidelines? Well, that's a great question. And and we have discussed that many, many times. And the minimum thing is that you've got to be able to identify, isolate get out of circulation and do adequate and appropriate contact tracing as new cases arise. If you start pulling back on mitigation, physical separations, there will be infections. The real proof of the pudding of the success of this reentry is how quickly and effectively you identify them, you get them out of circulation, you give them care where needed, and you do contact tracing so that you don't have a beginning of a, of a peak. If you don't have that, then you may have some difficulty. And that's what we're concerned about when we tell people what, what they really need to have in place. You told the Associated Press earlier today we're not there yet in terms of the testing and tracing necessary to contain new outbreaks, which, of course, raises the question, how far away are we from getting there? You know, we're rapidly approaching. If you look several weeks to a month ago, the number of tests were out there. Right now, there are, I believe the last number that we spoke about uh, the day before yesterday or today was close to or even at or beyond 3 million tests. That's really far, far greater than what we were a couple of weeks ago. Right now, 
they're developing the capability of even uh, escalating and accelerating that even more so that we would be able to have a significant number in the measured in the millions of tests each week. I mean, what do we know about whether you do develop immunity to coronavirus? I'm sure you saw this report that came out of Korea from their CDC saying that they had found the virus had been reactivated in a number of patients they thought had been cured. What do you think about that? We don't know how common that is. It's likely an uncommon event and won't have a public health impact. We have to be humble and and modest and, and appreciate that we don't have all the answers with the antibody because the things that we don't know is that in general with viruses that we deal with all the time, when you develop an antibody after infection, it almost invariably means you're protected. We don't absolutely know that for sure yet. I think it is going to be the case. I I can say I, I think it will be. The other thing that we don't know is the durability of protection. So are you protected for a month or two or three, a half a year or a year? We need to get experience to know that. Finally, as you know, New York has been hard hit. The governor has said recently that he believes, looking at the numbers, that there's been a plateau, that perhaps it's on the decline, and that the worst may be over. Broadening that out to the country as a whole, do you feel as we sit here now that the worst is behind us? Right now, given what we are doing, the worst looks like, for the most part, with a couple of exceptions, there's still a couple of of cities right now, Savannah, that we're worried about that haven't yet peaked and turned around. But if you look at the New York metropolitan area as kind of the prototype that's been driving this through the country, and then look at the country as a whole, there's no doubt what we've seen over the last several days is a flattening out. And even when you get to New York, it's actually starting to come down regarding admissions, hospitalizations, needs for intensive care and intubation. Hopefully that trend will continue. So, as I say, I'm a very cautious person, but we are seeing some light at the end of the tunnel. I was telling you, you know, when, when I hear Dr. Fauci, I tend to I know some people uh, don't feel this way, but I tend to just take a deep breath like, OK, mm-hmm. I, that that's a voice that I trust right there. Uh, so he didn't he never paints a rosy picture or like a, a overly rosy picture. He says he tries to be really honest. But I did find some comfort in him saying we still have to we're bending the curve. We still have to stay the course. But when he used the phrase, uh, but there's a light at the end of the tunnel, I that 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 was a phrase from him that I really needed to hear today. Is there any part of you that's like suspicious of that or do you, are you just full on You're like, no, nope, Fauci says it, that settles it. I believe it. <laughs> A little bit, <laughs> and that might be a little naive. If a politician or other people had said light at the end of the tunnel, I'd probably be like, okay, maybe. Uh, like that's what we get. But um, when he says it, because he's been it, there's a there's a lesson in here about honesty. Because I feel like he's been pretty honest the whole time. That you hear it and you go, okay, that's that's uh, his his uh, what what he really thinks and. Um, yeah, a light at the end of the tunnel, but knowing that there could be a long way still to go. And, and everything I've watched is like, we need testing, we need testing, we need testing. And that seems to be more and more getting ramped up. And I think that's why he was indicating there's a little light at the end of the tunnel as we continue to get done what we need to get done. Hmm. Uh, but the real message is keep doing what you're doing, people, uh, because there's a lot of people out there like, let's open, let's open, let's open. And Fauci is, I think, saying what we're doing is working but we got to keep doing it.
Right. Well, yeah, I mean, there's protests in my uh, home city of Detroit right now about opening the state back up. So, nope. yeah, we've talked about this a number of times. We're not necessarily unified as a nation about what the best course of action is right now, which is part of what makes all of this so tumultuous is because right. it's already tough enough as it is dealing with the pandemic. And then you have, and again, the other thing, I forgot what the term was, should have written it down. But one of the other fascinating things socially that's happening is that people who are an expert in our field <laughs> are, now, <laughs> yes. are now weighing in uh, as experts in other fields. That's Gosh, right. Darn it. There's a term for it. I'm going to look it up, but okay. I see a lot of that happening. Like, well, they're, they have a doctorate. Maybe they know. And you're like, no, no, no. <laughs> they're very smart in that one very particular area. And there's yeah. a lot of that happening on social media right now where, you know, people are kind of mic dropping each other. And you're like, I don't think everyone here has equal education into this particular conversation, which is what makes it so tricky. Exactly. So that's our little bit of an update. Hopefully hearing from Dr. Fauci is helpful and uh, let us encourage you as well to keep staying the course here. Uh, Keep listening to the people who know what they're saying and uh, we'll, we'll get through this. Well, coming up next, we are going to talk about an article out of Navigators uh, about disorientation and what could be coming next. That's what we're going to talk about here on the common good AM 1160. Hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Thanks for joining us today. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. That's The Common Good Radio Show. Find us on Twitter at Common Good Talk. Uh, You can get our podcast wherever it is you get your podcast. Just subscribe, rate, and review. That does help us, and we are greatly appreciative uh, for those of you who do that. Uh, Wanting to talk about an article out of Navigators, but before we do that, uh, Ian, why don't you tell us about our friends at Thrive It? Brian, you didn't tell them the best news about Alexa yet. I thought that was yesterday's news, but I'd be glad to tell you that you can ask Alexa to play the Common Good Radio podcast, and she will do that. And I know that because I did it. <laughs> that's not, yes, that's everyday news. That needs to be included now in our I think so. general rigmarole. This is worth celebrating, and uh, I, for one, am really excited. Okay, so... Thrivent Financial, here's the skinny. I've been a Thrivent member for better part of a decade. Love Thrivent, not just because they're a Fortune 500 non-for-profit that's been around forever, but it's a Christian organization. So as a lot of you know, when it comes to your faith and finances, uh, that's a really, really unique, but I think important fusion of yep. interests and ideologies. So I'd encourage you in general to check them out. But if you're looking for a career change, Thrivent might be a really good fit. You can go to Thrivent.com slash careers. That's Thrivent.com slash careers. Or just ring them up on the old telephone, 630-598-2128. That's 630-598-2128. And just tell them that I sent you. Uh, Yeah, tell them that Ian sent you, and I'll bet you you'll get a deal of some sort. (laughs) A deal on the job offer? I don't know if that's how that works. You're hired. That's what they'll say right there. (laughs) Oh, you know Ian? Where do I sign? Where do I sign? Uh, so at Navigators, we've got this up on our Facebook page. They wrote an article that I, that I thought was interesting called Orientation, Disorientation, Reorientation. It begins by saying, God does some of his very best work by speaking words of life and order directly into chaos. God mm. is speaking in this world that he deeply loves. And then later on, uh, it goes on to say, um, we've been hearing it. Uh, it quite a bit, the language of, quote, when everything gets back to normal again. But I don't believe God wants us to return to where we previously were. It would be uncharacteristic of God to not use a major global disorienting disruption to get our attention and to reorient 
our affections. There is a pile of evidence these days that suggests ways we have gotten off track. We've lost sight of what's fundamentally important. There have been so much focus on power and wealth and control and pleasure that we've neglected our care of the earth and of vulnerable people in our midst. We've lost sight of our mortality and our need to invest in eternal life as citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Hmm. And it goes on and on. But I wonder what you think uh, about that concept uh, that it would be uncharacteristic of God to not use a major global disorienting disruption to get our intention and reorient our affections. Do you think that's an accurate statement? Uh, let me think about that. Okay. Do I think God can use? Absolutely. Do I think God, and we've talked about this before, intentionally sends things like this in order to, I don't know that I necessarily, I'm slower, I'm slower to assume that. Now, obviously we have stories in the old and new Testament of where it seems pretty clear. Yeah. There was some disruption that was sent by God in order to kind of draw us to himself. I think it was, J.I. Packer, and he said something like, God will sometimes, uh, what did he say? Something like whack our hands to loosen our grip on the things that ultimately will lead to our destruction so that we can more firmly grip that which will give us life, which is Christ himself, or something like that. So I, I think God can absolutely use disruption and unfortunate events yeah. to draw people to himself. You know, the, the idea even that what is C.S. Lewis? He calls pain God's megaphone, That's right? right. Um, so I think there's definitely a lot of truth to what God can and historically has used in order to draw people to him. Uh, for me, it always gets into tricky ethical theological territory to say God sent this thing or did sure. this thing in order that we might turn to him. That's always a little bit murkier for me. That's right. So the article goes on to say, we are now deep into a season of profound disorientation Our lives have been disrupted. Our assumptions about how life is supposed to be have been rearranged. Our jobs, our income, our schedules, our plans, even unfortunately, some of our uh, relationships, it's all been tossed up in the air and it hasn't landed on anything solid yet. The chaos, we can feel it in our core. And with a future that is accompanied by uncertainty like we've never known before, there's considerable anxiety and fear that wants to move in to feed off the chaos. That's to be expected. Hmm. But I urge you, the author writes, to allow this season of disorientation to do its work of rearranging our hearts, uh, our minds, and our lifestyles. Reorientation takes time, so don't rush it. God does some of his very best work in the midst of chaos. From the beginning until now, God is the author of life, speaking with renewed uh, energies, uh, and it goes on and on. Um, do you think it's accurate to call? Well, I guess it's accurate. Can you think of a time in your life? Let's put it this way. Let's get personal where you have felt like it was a season, like they've titled disorientation, where it just everything that you kind of uh, kind of your worldview or the things you banked on were kind of shaken. Can you think of a time in your life where that was the case? Yeah, this, this might not be as existential as what you're hoping for. But, you know, when I spent that summer in India out of undergrad, mm-hmm. I had a bunch of things that I thought were going to be established and in place that ended up not being in place at all. And that began sort of like two and a half months of unknown and chaos. And I look back at that summer as like some of the most profoundly I've ever like felt and experienced the presence of God. And it was Mm -hmm. scary because I was by myself for a lot of it without a plan, many, many cases without a place to stay without an understanding of the language. So, you know, certainly fits in the chaos category, but there was, I don't know, man, maybe it was just the the right season of life for me, but if it felt like, and I often kind of harken back to 
man, that, that was a level of intimacy that uh, I don't always experience. And it also was a season where I feel like, I felt like my roots went down way deeper than they had before. Like it just yeah. solidified some stuff for me, even though there's all sorts of disruption and all sorts of chaos and all sorts of like, I got really sick a couple of times. And I was like, this mm. is really legitimately frightening. So that's more like situational and less sort of philosophical, less existential. But uh, I'm wondering if you have a season where you felt like that was the case. Yeah. And I think situational is actually when they happen, right? Like yeah, it's really that's funny. True. You and I have been doing this show long enough that my first thought in asking you that question was, I'll bet she's going to say when he was in India. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. And that, uh, that definitely was the case for me. I have shared this before, but for me, there was a season where uh, we had multiple uh, miscarriages in a row. Uh, my right, wife and I, right. and, I remember it being disorienting is the right word <laughs> where you're just like what is uh, every, the things I assumed uh, just aren't true or they're not taking place and all this stuff that my, the way that I had kind of oriented my life. And like you said, it's a time I'd never want to go back to. And I look back on as some of my deepest t- uh, times in my relationship with Christ. Right. And it's a, kind of that weird thing where I don't want to go back to it. Uh, the, the events of that day uh, of those times, but there was this, uh, grasping onto God that was something um, more profound than what we normally do. So right. I, I love I love how they end this article. They say, because he's the word of God, he's got the words. He uses the words. And remember, whenever God speaks, it results in something good. Hmm. As I've been listening to those words these days, they sound something like this. Come out, fear not, be hmm. still. I love you. I'll never leave you. And then I also hear this penetrating question. Do you believe this? If you say yes, then live like you believe it. So uh, I found that really helpful. Um, this is a disorienting time for us culturally, but you know that we can also look back like you and I have done at times where personally it was disorienting knowing that God is present. So you can find that at our Facebook page, The Common Good Radio Show, uh, that article by Navigators. Coming up next, we are excited to talk to someone who's been on the show before, uh, Matt Sorens, uh, U.S. Director of Church Mobilization for World, World Relief. Easy for me to say. Uh, <laughs> Matt's going to come and join us next segment. We're excited for that. You're listening to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Everybody, welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. You know, uh, Each day, we've been trying to get other voices, especially from the area here, other ministry leaders to come and talk uh, about how all of this is impacting their life and their ministry. And with that in mind, we're really excited to be joined by Matt Sorens today. Matt, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, glad to be back with you. Absolutely. I said you've been on the show before, but for those who don't remember you, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. So I work with a a Christian organization called World Release uh, that... Uh, World Release mission is to empower local churches to serve the vulnerable. And we do that in various places around the world. And then also here uh, in the U.S. and specifically in the Chicago land area, um, we have an office on the north side of Chicago in DuPage County and, and one in Aurora where I work from most of the time. That's, that's wonderful. Matt, I'm wondering, can you speak a little bit to how immigrants are uniquely vulnerable in the midst of this pandemic right now? Yeah, I mean, we've been doing our very best to, to serve people as best we can, obviously, while practicing social distancing and all that. But uh, right. if you think about it, a lot of immigrants are, first of all, a lot of them are in some of the hardest hit sectors of the economy. Uh, if you right. think about restaurants and hotels, um, a lot of those folks are immigrants. And then on the other end of the, the dynamic, a lot of them are in those essential jobs. Um, 
food production, uh, both, you know, agriculture and also packing foods, um, you know, grocery stores, and then the medical fields as well. About 30% of doctors are immigrants and they're maybe on the higher end of the pay spectrum, but also like nursing mm. aides are mm. 25, 30% immigrants and often more hourly wage jobs. So they're, you know, they're at risk along with other people in those fields. Um, so we've been doing our best to, to help support people. Uh, I just, I know we've had a lot of people uh, among the refugee and immigrant communities that we serve locally lose their jobs in the last few weeks. So we're doing the best we can to help provide support uh, at, at a distance. And then, of course, there's the vulnerability to the disease itself as well. And, um, you know, we've been particularly mindful of people who are in immigrant detention facilities. So those are people waiting for a court date. Um, which they may be granted asylum and told they could stay in the U.S. or or otherwise be allowed to stay, or they might be deported. But in the interim, sometimes they're released and sometimes they're detained. And if they're detained, hmm. that usually means they, I mean, basically you can't practice social distancing. Uh, right. We may think of social distancing as an inconvenience for most of us, but it would be a luxury for most of those people that they're not offered right now. So that's been a particular concern just in terms of spread of the disease. So this week, uh, taking along that thought, uh, we were reading that uh, some evangelical leaders urged the U.S. government to use alternatives to detention. Uh, and I hadn't really thought about that. Could you tell us some more about uh, that push and how that's going? Yeah, so this letter came from the leaders of the Evangelical Immigration Table, which World Relief is a part of, along with the National Association of Evangelicals, the Southern Baptist Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission, various others. And really, the ask of the U.S. Department of Homeland Security is to find other ways to make sure that people show up for court other than detaining them. And they actually already have those systems. It's things like GPS tracking, ankle bracelets, Mm. um, you know, case management programs where people are required to check in on a regular basis. Uh, Those systems work really well. Um, The vast majority of people do show up for court when they are put into those programs. They're a lot more affordable than detaining someone, which on average costs about $134 per night per person for taxpayers. And then most importantly in the current dynamic, um, they're able to be basically isolated at home. And most of those people have homes, uh, either they were, you know, they're immigrants who are unlawfully in the country, but have been here 10 or 15 years. So they can go back to their home while they wait for a court date. Hmm. Or if they're an asylum seeker who just arrived, most of them have an extended family member who could help take care of them or there's local churches who could be willing to do so. We think that, you know, especially in the current moment, given the public health crisis, both for those immigrants, but also for the staff in those facilities and just to stop the spread of the disease, it would be prudent to to use those alternatives to detention, unless there's a case where someone could be a threat to public safety. But right. some people might presume, well, these are people convicted of crimes. According to the department, you know, to the stats from the government, the majority of people in detention have never been convicted of any crime. It's wow. a minority who have anything. And even among those who have been convicted, it's often a fairly minor offense that wouldn't present a public safety threat. Wow. Okay, so Matt, you wrote an article for Relevant a couple of weeks ago that Brian and I actually talked about on the show, and the headline was Rich Christians in an Age of Coronavirus. Can you talk a little bit about that article and then maybe even how some of that has changed even in the two or three weeks since it was first published? Yeah, so actually today, um, I think it was today, uh, we got in my family a $39 stimulus payment um, because we're two adults and three kids and are, you know, within the income brackets that for this, the CARES Act, the, the legislation that Congress passed a few weeks ago. Right. And I'll, I, I wrote in the article, my first thought when I heard this was going to happen was that we should renovate our bathroom. But mm. my wife, Diana, who's more Christ-like than I am in a number <laughs> of ways, said, well, you know, we're still getting paychecks. And yes, life's a little inconvenient right now um, with our kids running around and all that. But we're, we're not really that 
you know, affected economically. And right. we know some people who are, we go to a Spanish speaking church where, you know, we know people in the restaurant industry who lost their jobs pretty quickly. Right. Um, so, you know, I'm following my wife's lead and we've said, how could we help, you know, use those funds, whether it's someone in your local community or even thinking beyond the U S I mean, I, I'm very much aware that this, this crisis in the United States, which is horrible, especially in places like New York city or others that are you know heavily affected right now is going to be much, much worse. For example, in Africa where mm. the health infrastructure is just not there at all. I mean, the right. number of doctors is one thirteenth per capita in that in most in sub-Saharan Africa, what it is in the U S wow. and uh, I was actually just in Africa uh, two months ago, just before everything kind of shut down and um, the infrastructure is so limited there. There are amazing things happening through local churches, but that's the sort of work that, you know, I, I'm hoping more, a lot of Christians will be generous with recognizing that as much as all of us are struggling with this dynamic, there are people who are going to be struggling much more and we could be generous. Wow. Yeah. I'm wondering, you work, you know, you're the director of church mobilization. So you work uh, hand in hand with churches. This might be hard to know at this point, but have you been excited and impressed with how churches are stepping up here? Or do you think there's more churches can be doing? Uh, what's been your, your take on how the church is doing during this pandemic? Yeah, I would say both. I mean, I act, definitely have been encouraged. I think a lot of churches are asking the right questions of, you know, of course, how do we care for ourselves and our people? And that's hard when we can't meet in person, when we're adjusting to new technology and, you know, Easter Sunday over Zoom or Facebook Live isn't quite the same. Right. But at the same time, I think that a lot of churches are asking the right questions of how do we look out for those who are uniquely vulnerable in this moment, whether that's in our own community or, um, you know, those overseas as well. And so I'm encouraged by that. And I think there's, frankly, we need more of that because the needs are very, very significant right now. And right. Um, yeah, I think it's always a, a, a good biblical challenge to take uh, take at its word when Jesus says to um, you know, consider the other what it says in the, in the epistles of consider the needs of others ahead of yourselves. Mm. That's not a natural human thing to do, but um, I've been spending a lot of time thinking about second Corinthians eight, where, you know, the church in uh, Corinth is challenged by Paul to be generous towards the church in Jerusalem. And if there's right. a church that's in need right now, I think we should look at Africa and Latin America in particular, or at immigrant congregations in our own community who are struggling even more than the average, you know, middle-class mid-sized, mostly white church. That's really good, Matt. As, as we wrap up, too, I know that a lot of our conversation uh, in general on the show, and I'm sure with everybody, has circled around this current crisis. But beyond that, though, can you talk to us a little bit about uh, Evangelical Immigration Table that I know you help coordinate and some of the work that you're doing in uh, the statement that you just released? Yeah, you know, in some ways, we had the, the poor fortune to release this not very long before everything became COVID-19. But um, right. we did, the Evangelical Immigration Table released a statement a few months back called the Evangelical Call for Restitution-Based Immigration Reform, and it's online, evangelicalimmigrationtable.com slash restitution, uh, really trying to find a way forward on some of these long-standing immigration challenges that our country faces in a way that we think are consistent with biblical values that are not an amnesty, so we're, we're not going to ignore the law in right. cases where someone is here unlawfully, but also is compassionate, is keeping families together. So also, we don't think a mass deportation is the right way forward. But basically said, is there a way that we could have people who are living outside of the law to come forward, pay a fine as restitution for having violated the law, and then have an opportunity to earn the chance to stay lawfully in the country? We found that there's a lot of support for that across some of the partisan lines, uh, and especially among Christians who want to bring together these different biblical principles. So Mm -hmm. we've been encouraging people to to go online, evangelicalimmigrationtable.com slash restitution, and 
add their name to that statement. And we've had elected officials who've said, you know, if we know that there's support from Christians on this, maybe we can move forward. That probably won't happen in the very short term with, you know, coronavirus, but right. uh, maybe a few months from now. Absolutely. Well, Matt, thank you so much for joining us. You've been listening to Matt Sorens. He's the U.S. Director of Church Mobilization for World Relief. Matt, we really appreciate it. We'll have you on again sometime. Yeah, so glad to be with you guys again. Thanks, Absolutely. Matt. Appreciate it, man. Take You're care. listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Everybody, welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you joining us today. And let me just say, if you're just tuning in right now and uh, you did not get a chance to hear Matt Sorens from World Relief uh, last segment, go get the podcast because it will be worth your time. You said off area and you go, man, he really packs a lot of information into a short amount of time. That was really good. But it's so convincing and compelling and like rooted in scripture. I, yeah. I'm more and more impressed by him and just super grateful for his wisdom. Absolutely. So you can find our podcast, wherever it is you get podcasts, you can go listen to them. You can also find old shows at 1160hope.com. Before we jump into this next uh, section, I do want to talk about something we're doing here at the station, because we know during the coronavirus pandemic uh, that there are many businesses that are having to close their doors or reduce their hours. We also know that there are still though many businesses that are open and serving the public as best they can. So if you own or run a business that's open and operating, we want to help you get the word out. So right now, go to 1160hope.com slash open for business. That's all one word, 1160hope.com slash open for business. Fill out the brief form and we'll be compiling all of that information and sharing it with our listeners. Totally free, no catch. Go to 1160hope.com slash open for business. So uh, I think it was two or three weeks ago, you and I read uh, a list of prayers uh, written by uh, Jen Pollock Michael at Christianity Today, and she followed up with another one called 20 More Prayers to Pray as We Approach This Pandemic's Peak. And I just thought last time we were able to just pray these, it was so powerful. Uh, So we're going to not just read these 20, uh, but we're going to take a posture of prayer, and we'd love for our listeners out there to do the same. We'll put these up on our Facebook page, uh, or we already have, and we would love for you to take these and actually pray through these, hmm. uh, because I think it's just uh, a powerful uh, list of prayers. Quite frankly, a lot of us don't know how to pray in the midst of this, and I think this is a great guide. So there's 20 of them. We'll bounce them back and forth. Uh, I will go first. Here we go. Lord, for the church, struggling with faith in the midst of global suffering, God, we believe in your willingness to heal and your power to do so. Would you help our unbelief? Hmm. For those who have turned to faith in Jesus for the very first time during this pandemic, God, help our new brothers and sisters grow in the grace and knowledge of our Savior. Father, for those who don't know Jesus yet, but find their hearts stirred by spiritual curiosities and eternal longings, God, in your kindness, lead many to repentance and obedient faith in your son. For first responders and frontline healthcare workers, especially in the epicenters of infection, God, reinforce their ranks and strengthen them with supernatural energy. Father, for companies with the ability and the mandate to manufacture much-needed protective equipment for our frontline healthcare workers, God, establish the work of their hands. For transit workers, police officers, and other public servants working tirelessly, often without adequate protection, God, 
give them stamina every day and keep them from falling ill. Lord, for nursing homes, rehabilitation centers, and other long-term care facilities, God, encourage the lonely residents and strengthen the staff members who help them prevent further spread of infection and comfort families who can no longer visit their loved ones. Mm. Father, for the incarcerated who are particularly vulnerable to the spread of this virus, God, give wisdom to prison officials, protect inmates and staff from both violence and illness, deliver them all from fear. Father, for women and children in abusive situations, God, restrain those who commit harm, provide protection and rescue for victims and comfort them in their vulnerability. Father, for countries in the developing world, God, contain the spread of infection in our world's most densely populated and poorest cities. Mm. Spare countries already burdened with disease and chronic poor health. Lord, for Asian Americans in the United States, Africans in China, and other people all over the world subjected to COVID-related racism, Mm. God, confront this evil with your swift justice and deliver our brothers and sisters from cruelty. Yes, yes. Father, for everyone anxious about the economic future, how they'll pay for housing, food, and essential medicines, God, connect them to sources of help through the church, the government, and the community. Enable them to look toward you for provision. Father, for small churches who don't have cash reserves, God, keep their doors open and urge your people to give generously. Father, for educators forced to adapt curricula to online learning and for students forced to exercise more autonomy, God, make homes a place of curiosity, inquiry, and study. Give special help to children without regular access to the internet and other digital tools. Lord, for those disappointed by the cancellation of milestone celebrations like graduations, weddings, or baby showers, God, uh, comfort them in their disappointments and make it possible for them to gather again with friends and family. Yeah. Yeah. Father, for expectant mothers who face the prospect of labor and delivery without the support team they'd plan for God, deliver them from fear and fill them with joy as they witness new life. Lord, for women facing unexpected pregnancy in this time of economic crisis, God help them to find the practical and emotional support they need to keep them from seeking abortions. Father, for churches, parachurch ministries, and other Christian organizations doing online evangelism and discipleship, God bless our imperfect digital efforts and continue to advance the kingdom of Jesus through your people. Lord, for those dying alone in hospitals and for their loved ones, God, draw near to them and by your mercy, let them encounter Christ, the friend who never leaves and who never forsakes. Yes. Father, for those involved with politics at every level, God, help our leaders to work collaboratively and communicate efficiently, setting aside self-interest for the common good. God, we acknowledge that you spoke the world into being and continue to sustain it with your word. We trust in your wisdom, power, and goodness. Help us uh, at every opportunity to love as you have loved, to serve as you have served, to give us courage to speak of our hope in Jesus who suffered for us, rose from the dead and is coming again. Amen. Oh man. Amen. Amen. That's really powerful with like the minute or two that we have left. It is hard to know how to pray these days, isn't it? Yeah. And I, I'm so grateful 
for people like Jen Pollock, Michael, who are thinking through these things with such a pastoral wisdom. Right. And the thing that I love about both of her posts now is that I could see someone in a, who's a Democrat or Republican praying those prayers, someone who's traditional or progressive praying those prayers. Like it just has this really sort of unifying component, even to the words that she chose. And I'm, I'm just grateful for leaders who are thinking through things like this. Absolutely. So you can find that list at our Facebook page, the common good radio show. And uh, yeah, I'm, we're honored and humbled to be able to pray with you today. And uh, let's be people who continue mm-hmm. to pray. Uh, well, thanks for joining us. We've got another hour to go. Uh, Coming up next hour, uh, we are going to talk about the role of comedy uh, in this coronavirus pandemic. We're going to discuss that next here on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Hey, everyone, it's Ian Simpkin here. And I remember the first time that I actually learned about Thriving Financial. I was pastoring a church in Bartlett, and me and two other pastors had this dream, this idea to better care for the marriages in our communities. And so we started to dream up this conference idea. What if we actually hosted a local conference to pour into marriages and couples in our churches, in our neighborhoods, in our communities? And Thriving Financial kind of came alongside and not only like made the conference possible, but they were actually interested in partnering with us as churches, as pastors, to help people not only be wise with money, but to live more generously, which was always a value that I had and always struggled to find organizations that actually wanted to help our churches do that. And so that's actually kind of the beginning of what's been a really beautiful journey and relationship with Thrive and to actually be wise with money, to live generously, and to help other people do the same. And so if that interests you, I'd encourage you to go to Thrivent.com to learn more. Coming up this hour, we are going to talk about the role of comedy during this coronavirus. And then we're going to talk to a pastor from Minneapolis by the name of Stephanie Williams O'Brien. All that's coming up next on The Common Good. everybody, welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you joining us on this Wednesday afternoon. Uh, you can find us on Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show. Find us on Twitter at Common Good Talk. Find us online, 1160hope.com. Find our podcast wherever it is you get your podcast. Basically, what I've just said is you can find us in almost an uncomfortably number of places, just all over the place. Just, I know I'm uncomfortable for sure. I mean, Instagram now, right? Did I, that, that's true. Uh, Are you asking like, or telling? A little bit of both. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you could look. You can look that up for yourself, Brian. Yeah, I'm not a big Instagram guy. I need to be. I show my age when it comes to Instagram a little bit. But um, (laughs) yeah, we learned Alexa will get you there. All sorts of different ways. So uh, if you're a podcaster, subscribe, rate, review. Uh, We are grateful for those of you who've done that. Uh, An interesting article uh, at NBC News about Saturday Night Live. And you touched on this yesterday, that over the weekend, Saturday Night Live decided to do something. It said groundbreaking. They remotely broadcast its show from cast members' home with Tom Hanks hosting uh, from his home. Uh, did you actually watch it? And if so, uh, yesterday, I think you called it pretty fascinating. What did you think of it? Yeah, I mean, it was, I use the word fascinating because I'm not entirely sure how I feel about it. My wife and I both watched it. It's just always fun to like watch with somebody because like the weird moments you can like turn to each other and make that weird, <laughs> like Jim Halpert face. Like, what was that? What was yes. <laughs> but it raised all sorts of other questions. Like, so Tom Hanks was hosting, 
but he hosted from his kitchen and there's no audience and there's no laugh track. So there's, there's moments where you're almost starting to wonder the person's humor in general. You're like, wait a minute, have I only thought he was funny because there was an audience laughing at him? Fascinating. And it's, again, he's like dressed up and he's in his kitchen and he's kind of owning the fact that this is really strange. But as you can imagine, they, they had to do all of the sketches from a distance. So they had some really interesting ideas. Some of them are obviously like one person sketches and they came up with, you know, interesting ways to accomplish that. They didn't actually do it live, but there's a bunch of things they were able to accomplish via either zoom or a news broadcast. Um, I thought the weekend update was surprisingly funny and interesting. It was interesting even seeing like the different environments that each cast member was broadcasting from. Yeah. But even some of the stuff, you know, if you watch SNL at all, not all of it's live, they'll often kind of sprinkle in uh, produced videos that they recorded ahead of time, but they'll still play the live uh, audience reaction when you're watching it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The videos that I think were, you know, obviously attempting to be funny felt like it fit in a much different space because nobody else was laughing. And uh, I don't know, the whole thing, especially Brian as a communicator, I would love to know what you think of it if and when you watch it because it's a very I've never seen anything quite like it because it's never really needed to happen before so you know necessities the mother of invention it was really fascinating is the word I would use for sure yeah and and it's raised this topic and that's what I wanted to talk with you about uh is uh, the role of comedy and just laughing in the midst of something so tragic as the coronavirus pandemic right now um and so uh is it necessary? Like, is it something we need like to keep us sane or is it inappropriate to be laughing literally at the pandemic itself? Uh, So here's an example. We're going to play a minute of uh, something that was kind of flying around uh, YouTube and social media called uh, the coronavirus Rhapsody off of Queens, Bohemian Rhapsody. So listen to a minute of this and then we're going to talk a little bit. Is this a fever? Is this just allergies? Caught in a lockdown, no escape from the family. Don't touch your eyes, just hand sanitize quickly. So I'm going to be honest, you sent that to me and I laughed hard when listening to that. <laughs> I can't uh, even imagine what that would sound like. Yes, it's six minutes long and we just played the first minute for you there. Um, but there might be some people, Ian, who, who go, it's just not appropriate. It's not yeah. appropriate to joke about what we're going through and that people are dying and whatever else. It's too soon. Other people go, man, I need that stress release. And the comedy plays this kind of important role uh, in helping us kind of get de-stressed and other things. Where do you land on that conversation? You know, I don't necessarily land anywhere in the conversation. I think people (laughs) 
have the right to feel that maybe joking about a certain topic isn't appropriate or not appropriate right now. Um, as we know, comedy has everything to do with time, not only timing, but how much time has passed. Uh, so time plus tragedy equals comedy is, you know, kind of the uh, age old yeah. rubric. So I, I, to me, I'm comfortable with people saying, nope, I think it's appropriate. And other people saying, nope, I think it's inappropriate. I think comedy since the beginning of comedy has done that. Uh, now, obviously there are certain, there should at least be conversations about restrictions with regards to public discourse or like what is deemed um, illegal in some capacity or uh, an offense to human rights. But I, I don't know. I'm curious because, because, you know, no one in my immediate family has been right. uh, infected or affected. I imagine if, if they had been, I would have watched the entire show through a much different lens. And I want to be sensitive to that. I always want to be mindful that anything that I find funny, humorous could potentially be offensive and to check my own ego and to check my own um, blinders, I guess, in that regard. But, and I've said it a lot on this show, I also think humor has a very unique capacity to heal and to uh, expose maybe some of the absurdities. We're all sort of facing a number of unprecedented absurdities now. And historically, in a lot of ways, that's where comedy has shined. It's sort of like, you know, turns the flashlight on a little bit on a thing that maybe a lot of us are feeling but don't know how to articulate. That's yeah. what I think comedy is at its best. I don't necessarily know that SNL stuck the landing entirely, but right. I think there's a lot of gray area to that conversation for sure. I'm, I'm sure, which is kind of the most, well, very different, the most comparable thing we have. Uh, how the late night shows went away for a while and Saturday Night Live went away for a while. Uh, and when they came back, it was it was kind of a very important cultural moment. Now, we're still in the midst of our issues right now. But even now, see a lot of the late night shows have started coming back from the host house, ha from their homes. Um, and it's like this recognition that they play a role within our culture right. of some normalcy and, uh, and and just laughter. You know, it's a really corny phrase, but the old phrase that sometimes laughter is the best medicine. Right. Um, right. Because it reminds us, okay, I'm getting to see Jimmy Fallon do his kind of crazy stuff that he does, right? With uh, or Jimmy Kimmel or whoever else, uh, and that not everything has to be heavy. I think you make a good point that probably the level to which the tragedy has has touched your life is probably the yeah. uh, <laughs> probably determines how much you're willing to laugh about it at the moment. Um, well, let me, but, can yeah. I ask you, let me ask you a question about normalcy, because I think the Jimmy Fallon example is an interesting one. If you watch Fallon compared I, to like, I need Seth to admit Myers, that I haven't watched Fallon at all. So that's, that's okay. You could, if you wanted to, but if you, if you compare Fallon's interpretation to Seth Meyers interpretation, Myers has like a professional camera. I'm, I imagine like on a tripod of some kind, like everything's kind of static and clear and spot on. And a lot of Fallon stuff. It's like his wife who's holding the camera or the phone. Really? You can hear her like laugh or giggle or the camera shake a little bit sometimes when he makes a joke. And <laughs> it's like, a, it's, there's like a, that feels almost more honest, but I'm even as a pastor, do you feel some need to like act as normal as possible on a Sunday morning? Or do you kind of own the fact that like, Hey, this is strange. This is weird. We're filming from my living room or like, where do you land in the sort of the ministry scope there? I have actually been probably more on the side of, hey, we're going to own the fact that it's a little awkward, hmm. um, that the room is empty, that or that, you know, Sunday morning we're shooting from our building. Uh, but 
you know what, when I, when I shoot the thing for Facebook, I'm just holding it in my bedroom. Like I don't try to hide that from people. Right. Uh, I do think we're all locked in our houses. I think there's some, uh, there's something endearing about seeing everything that's broadcast coming in the same way of all of how we're living our lives right now. Right. Uh, that's interesting. I'll have to check that. I haven't actually watched Fallon or, or Seth Myers or any of them. Uh, it's, it's, it's worth checking out. I think you'll dig <laughs> it. Uh, anyway, we'd love to know what you think. These will be up at our Facebook page. And uh, what is the role of comedy uh, in something that is this heavy uh, and this tragic? Yeah. Well, coming up next, we're going to talk to Stephanie Williams O'Brien, a pastor, an author, a podcaster, taking some time out to talk to us here on The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Thanks for joining us today. Uh, as we've been saying, we are uh, we really like to get other voices on this show, especially with all that's going on right now in the world. We like to allow you to hear from other people. And we're excited to have a pastor uh, out of Minneapolis, Stephanie Williams O'Brien, joining us today. Stephanie, thank you for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here with you guys. Absolutely. So uh, why don't you introduce yourself to our audience? Tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, great. Well, uh, as you said, I'm up here in Minneapolis and uh, not too far from y'all in Illinois, but we, we did have a blizzard on Easter this year. So that's what sets <laughs> us apart. Um, I've been living in the Twin Cities area most of my life and I'm a church planter. My church is about to turn 12 years old wow. here in the midst of all of this. And so I obviously was only 13 when I planted it. So really Impressive. No, I, I, I was 25, but me and some friends were wondering, you know, what, what it, would it look like to be a community that was planted in a certain part of the city and just be there for the city? So mm. our mission is to love our community in the name of Jesus. And our church is called Mill City Church. And if you're from the Twin Cities, you'd know like Mill City is a nickname for Minneapolis. So we oh. named the church after the city, it, kind of the way you might name a child after a grandparent, just to make sure they know that you love them. So oh, that's what our church that. has been doing up here ever since 2008. That's great. <laughs> That's phenomenal. All right. So I'm, I'm really interested to talk about your book because one of the things that Brian and I talk a lot about on the show are things like questions and doubts and how they yeah. fit into like the greater mosaic of our faith. And it's actually a lot of the heartbeat even behind the name, the common good, the common piece, meaning a lot of us share things in common, whether it's doubts or yeah. fears or struggles, and we so rarely talk about them. Can you talk a little bit more about your book, what it's about and like what inspired you to write it in the first place? Yeah, that's, I love that you guys shared that about the name of the of the, the this show because it it is not isn't now just like one of the epitome moments of how we're all in this common struggle uh-huh. <laughs> as we're going through all of this around no the world. No kidding. Um, and I think there's something so powerful with being able to say like, "Hey, yeah, me too. I've been through that, or I've had these questions." And the reason yes. I wrote the book is called "Stay Curious," and the subtitle is "How Questions and Doubts Can Save Your Faith," which might seem like, wait, save your faith. Wait a second oh. to some people, if you were to say that, but you know, I really think it's true. I wrote it because I had so many conversations with folks uh, who didn't realize how common and maybe even crucial it is to ask good questions about the mm-hmm. God of the universe. If we're going to give our lives to this God and how it's not even just normal, it's, it can be really healthy and can help you really take your faith to a, a level of depth that without that curiosity and those questions, you wouldn't engage. But so many people feel alone in those questions and they can be really hard. They can be very difficult and certainly doubt as well. But we see in scripture that Jesus always moves towards those with the questions and those with the doubts instead of yes. away from them. And so I just wanted people to know that there's an opportunity to 
pursue those things and not be alone and just wrote down a bunch of conversations I've had. And, um, and then I've got a lot of tools in the book too, just ways to get unstuck. Cause I think sometimes these questions and doubts can have us feeling yeah. like we're kind of stuck in the mud or stuck in the quicksand and just need mm. to get, get to take a next step. Mm. I'm guessing a lot of people are struggling with questions and doubts right now. Maybe speak to yeah. the person who's grown up in the church, you know, they've always been in church and they feel guilty even for having doubts or even having questions. Could you talk to that person mm-hmm. who kind of heaps guilt even on top of their doubts? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think that there's been some people who are trying to be helpful who maybe misinterpreted some aspects of scripture that, that caused us to lead, lead, take us to a place where we assume that, that doubt is a sin or that it's wrong. And, you know, I think if you look at the, at the whole scripture, you just see so many different people dealing with doubts in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And, and Jesus, for instance, moving towards them, like I said. And so just to start by, by letting go of some of that shame. And I think that when people can have empathy and compassion for themselves and see that in other people, they can start to let go of some of that shame and recognize that, that Jesus is wanting you to, to trust him with the questions because he's the mm. one with the answers. And to just know that that, it, that kind of stuff, that's, it's going to hold you back from actually the, the really exciting parts. Like, I think the word of curiosity overall is a really positive word. Yes. And it's an opportunity. And we sometimes think of growth as very linear. Like, I want to grow and I'm going to grow up in my faith. But maybe it's more of an expansion that we expand right. as people and we grow more in this way of, of expanding our knowledge and our understanding. And, you know, we use, sometimes use the colloquial term like blowing your mind, but you know, if God's not blowing your mind, then is that a God worth following? I mean, right. that's something I think worth pursuing. So maybe it's a, it's a mindset shift to look at these questions, to look at the pursuit of curiosity, less as something that's either guilt driven or scary and more as something that's an opportunity for expansion and right now, as we're all feeling the weight and the, the, the sense of being confined and so much being stripped away, perhaps it's an opportunity to get at the core of some of the things you've really wondered about. And I think curiosity really could have an awesome and, and exciting spot, even in the midst of this tragic time. Yeah, that's, that's so well said. I'm thinking of two things. One, uh, I have a two-year-old and one-year-old at home, and <laughs> I have been reading the text where Jesus talks about becoming like children if you actually want to enter the kingdom of heaven. And yeah. one of the characteristics that kind of keeps bubbling to the surface for me is just how endlessly curious they are. Like, I wonder yes. if part of what he had in mind was, man, you adults, you become so certain of everything. These kids have a curiosity yeah. and they ask questions. And what's so interesting to me is we have all these depictions of people that we hold up as like juggernauts of the faith. And they're regularly asking questions and showing that they don't know what's happening or they're kind of missing the point. Like, why do you think we so often perpetuate the, the notion that like maturity and curiosity don't go hand in hand. Mm. Yeah, that's such a good, that's such a good point. I, in fact, I dedicated the book to my husband, who's a very curious person, even as an adult, but also to my nephew who was, you know, coming into that four and five year old stage when I was yeah. writing it. Cause he's so curious. I and I, you know, I totally agree with you about that aspect of the childlike faith, not being that you are blind or you don't have, you don't care, or you're just blindly following, but that you're following your questions. And I think for, for adults, there's probably a number of different reasons, but I think it, some of it comes down to shame again, where we just want to look like we know what we're doing. Right. We want to seem like we actually have, uh, have it together, so to speak, as people might say. And the reality is, is that none of us have it together. Not right. really, yeah. <laughs> especially right. not without God leading us in our life. And uh, I, I think what's really happening is that people don't have certainty. 
um, if they do, they're, they're holding on to a mythical version of it. What they really have is usually cynicism Mm. and cynicism comes across kind of like, Oh, I'm being bold and being brave. I'm telling you, Oh, that's not true. Or you don't really know. But I actually think that at the core of cynicism is, is kind of a, actually like a, a sense of insecurity and Mm. fear and feeling like I'm afraid to not have the answer. So then I'm going to just make sure everyone knows that their answer is not right or that I'm skeptical of their answer. And that, you know, in the middle of, of those questions and doubts that that positive curiosity could be found. And that actually keeps us from the trap. I think a trap of cynicism. Mm -hmm. We all can end up there. Don't get me wrong. I've been there, but not letting yourself stay there uh, because it's, it's a pretty miserable place to be. And so I wonder as an adult, if actual maturity is to go from that sense of curiosity to move past that place of the false certainty and into a place of true curiosity uh, as a mature version of curiosity is actually what that looks like. In fact, there's a theory in my book that I um, took from a, some awesome authors, a book called The Critical Journey, a woman named Janet Hagberg and Robert Gulick wrote back, you know, to be honest, when I was maybe two years old, but it's got an awesome theory around the fact that faith is actually more cyclical, that we go through these cycles of faith, we go through these stages of faith and and pursuing a questions beyond the pat answers is a part of that maturity. Mm. But the trap I think of cynicism can kind of keep us from actually getting to the, the far side of far side of complexity yeah. as some people put it. That's good. Yeah. Stephanie with like the minute or so we have left, you uh, are a pastor and author also have a podcast. Tell us a little bit about your podcast. Yeah, definitely. Uh, my friend Joe Saxon and I, she's one of my best friends. We are so similar and so different. And we just talk <laughs> leadership on this podcast for leaders in any space whether they are uh, in church spaces, ministry spaces, nonprofit, for-profit, people who are leading in their homes, like pretty much everyone is doing right now. Mm -hmm. Uh, Our podcast is called Lead Stories. And we say that leadership is when you're intentional with your influence in whatever spaces you might have influence. Mm. Uh, Certainly it's not just titles. And so we can, you can find that wherever podcasts are found, uh, Lead Stories podcast with Joe Saxon and Steph O'Brien. And um, yeah, and then my my website's pastorsteph.com. So you just go to pastorsteph.com or pastorsteph on all the, all the, the socials. And uh, I'd love to connect with people beyond this spot here. So definitely. Just to connect. Well, Stephanie, thank you for joining us. We'd encourage our people to check out her book, Stay Curious, How yes. Questions and Doubts Can Save Your Faith. Stephanie, uh, stay warm up there in Minneapolis. And, <laughs> I'll do the best I can. Uh, exactly. We're really excited you joined us. Thanks for taking the time. We appreciate it. Thank you. Absolutely. You're listening to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, I'm Brian Fromm. Uh, we're broadcasting from our homes. It's been a little weird not to be with each other for so long. I guess it's like that with all the relationships in our life. But no, I'm, I'm actually in your home. <laughs> You've been here for a month and I just haven't known. <laughs> yeah, I, li- I like what you're wearing right now. It looks nice Thank on you. you. It's the same hoodie I've worn often in the last month. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's not new for a pandemic either. That's <laughs> no. Brian no, Fromm stable. It, no, it is not. Well, find us on Facebook, Common Good Radio Show. There you'll find uh, also at, at 1160hope.com or on our podcast. You'll get to hear the interview we just did with Stephanie Williams O'Brien, uh, oh, if you missed that, or Matt Sorens in the 4 o'clock hour. Both oh, good. Those well worth listening to. Well worth listening to. So uh, you can find those at those various locations. Uh, we're going to talk about something, an article 
out of the Good News Network that talks about a, a study that, that helps about what do we do when we're stressed, how to relieve stress. But before that, speaking of stress, a lot of us feeling financial stress these days. Why don't you tell us about Thrivent? Ooh, that was a good segue. That was a professional segue right there, Brian. That's it's just what we are, man. <laughs> I, it is actually kind of nice just to peek behind the curtain here. Like I've so appreciated. I don't mind talking about Thriving this much, just because they've been incredibly helpful for my dumb brain. Like I'm just not gifted in this area at all, and uh, I've been a Thriving member for like seven, eight, maybe nine years. They're a Fortune 500 non for profit. They've been around like a hundred years. And if you're in need, you want to have a conversation with somebody about your finances, your generosity, insurance, investment, blah, 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 blah. Highly, highly recommend you check them out. But in particular, if you are considering a career change of some kind, uh, Thrivent is looking and you might be the perfect fit. So you can go to Thrivent.com slash careers or call 630-598-2128. So a lot of us feeling stress right now for obvious reasons, lots of anxiety, and we've talked many different angles about how do we deal with stress? How right. do we best deal with anxiety? And we hope that's been helpful for you. Uh, well, this one references a 2019 study. Let me tell you what it offers. It says, if you're feeling particularly anxious today, this study from 2019 says that taking at least 20 minutes out of your day to stroll or sit in a place that makes you feel in contact with nature will significantly lower your stress hormone levels. It says, for the first time ever, researchers conducted a study on the most effective dose uh, of an urban nature experience to counteract the effects of modern stress. Hmm. Healthcare practitioners are now free to use this discovery, published in Frontiers in Psychology, to prescribe, quote, nature pills with the knowledge that they have a real measurable effect. Uh, So before we get into this a little bit more, does it surprise you at all that they're saying that one of the best ways to relieve stress is to get outside and enjoy some nature? No, not at all. I also would uh, apply the same when people approach me uh, in a spiritual sense, like, hey, I feel disconnected from God. I'll often ask, when was the last time that you just spent time in creation? Like, I, you know, before any of us were quarantined, the vast majority of us were going from our heated house to our heated car to our heated office and then back again. And then we're like surprised that we feel some level of existential disconnection. I don't, I'm not saying it solves everything. I'm not saying like, yeah, walk in the nature trail for 20 minutes and you won't ever feel like your prayers are hitting the ceiling or you won't ever doubt your fa- I'm not saying that at all, but that to me makes perfect sense. And it is interesting that a, a test like this has not been done before. Uh, one of the people they quote here is Dr. Mary Carol Hunter, an associate professor at the University of Michigan. Go blue. She said, <laughs> uh, we know that spending time in nature reduces stress, but until now it was unclear how much is enough, how often to do it, or even what kind of nature experience will benefit us. I'm actually really surprised that that hasn't happened before. She said, our study shows that for the greatest payoff in terms of efficiency, Lowering levels of the stress hormone cortisol, you should spend 20 to 30 minutes sitting or walking in a place that provides you with a sense of nature, which is accomplishable, right? That's not, it'd be different if it was like, hey, for optimal results, you need to spend six hours a day in nature. Like most of us are like, well, that's just not, that's not going to happen. But 20 to 30, like we could make that, most people could make that a priority. Now, I would be curious to know how does this actually play out in environments where, you're not even within a 20 minute drive of any nature. You know, how, right. what, what do you do then? 
And that's a little bit what they talk about here, urbanization and lots of us in front of our screens all day. It's interesting what you said before. And, uh, you know, I find when we talk about our our prayer lives or spiritual lives, um, I pray so much better in nature than I do Mm -hmm. in like, uh, like in the sanctuary at the church or Mm. in my, you know, in a room in my house. It's like, I know that if I want to, to, really pray, which sounds a weird way to put it. I go for a walk, (laughs) like I'll walk the dog or I'll go find a park to walk in. There is something I think we're, uh, we are wired uh, to be outside, which is hard or not to be outside, but to, to, to have time outside, Hmm. uh, which is hard in Illinois. You know, like this is often why I'm going to tell my wife, I wish we lived by the beach. (laughs) I I could just, in fact, the last time we were at the beach, I just, uh, I videotaped the waves just crashing for like two or three minutes on my phone. And I just will play that sometimes <laughs> just to kind of get that dose. Uh, what are some other things you would tell people who are feeling stressed right now? Like, okay, being outside is a good one. What might be one or two other things that you would uh, help people? What might be a help to de-stress or not be so stressed at this time? Yeah. I mean, not to, uh, not to keep banging this drum, but that daily prayer app for me yeah. has been, remarkable because it it are the it's these scheduled moments to just and they're short moments too. I you know have it go off at like eight, noon, five, and nine. That's I think how I have mindset. And it's embarrassing to confess this to everybody, but sometimes even pastors forget to step away from their work and just right. simply be present or to pray. And a lot of times the irony is that like I'm working really hard on a sermon, which is why I forgot to pray. Like that feels <laughs> so counterproductive but things like that are really helpful for me and because they sort of like walk you through it there's a lot of other residual effects because a lot of times when the alarm goes off i i realize other things like oh my jaw is clenched oh my gosh i've been leaning forward with my with my shoulders up for an hour like there's all sorts of other things man i haven't had water in three hours i have you know like just having something kind of snap me out of the regular rhythm uh, has been really helpful. That's not to say that I, I don't still get stressed, but again, and you know, I, we've joked about it a number of times on the show. I love, I love having my wife and two and one year old just upstairs. Like sometimes if I even just have a minute or two between meetings, I just sprint upstairs and I just hug them for like a minute, like, <laughs> and they hate it and they're squirming and you know, they're crying to get out of it. But like, that feels cheesy, but I, just having that opportunity to take a hundred seconds just to run upstairs, hug my family like that in a weird way does kind of reset me sometimes. Yeah, it's and, good. Uh, I've, I've appreciated that a lot. Do you, do you have any tips or tricks, things that have been helpful for you? Oh, I think one of the things that goes hand in hand with the nature call here is uh, to get off your phone, turn the TV off, get off yeah. kind of this. Uh, just, you know, especially now we're being inundated social media wise by bad news or uh, you know, apocalyptic, whatever else it might be that I just don't think that we can handle that really well without getting over, uh, overstressed and just, you know, feeling like just, Oh, I'm so anxious about all of this. Right. I think that uh, we need to get our news and get our Facebook and our Twitter, whatever else in doses sure. right now. Uh, and then go for a walk, uh, play with your kids. Like you said, do something uh, to kind of remind you that, okay, there's some normalcy here. And again, um, I'm not very good at that. Uh, I, I will right. have my phone and I find myself just checking it at all times going, okay, why, why am I doing this? Right. Uh, so I would encourage you uh, to, to take a break 
from your phone every now and then. So uh, as we close, Daily Prayer app, is it? Is that what the app is called, the Daily Prayer app? Yep, Daily Prayer, yep. All right, well, we'd encourage you to check that out if you're looking for something that could help here along the way as well. We're coming up next. We are going to end the show the way we always do uh, with some interweb insanity. Uh, Some of them have gone sideways this week. Some have gone well. We're going to see what they're like today. That's what we're going to do next here as we close the show. This is The Common Good, AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everyone. It's Ian Simpkins here. And after I had this experience with Thrivent where we were able to host this marriage conference with two other churches in the area, uh, my interest was kind of peaked with regards to what kind of organization this was. And it was really fascinating because they approached me, who was pastoring a church in Bartlett, and they said, we actually provide these free workshops for people that want to be wise with money and live generously. And so they sent me this link, and it was all these different topics, questions that people in my church actually were asking. And so it was remarkable. They hosted this workshop uh, a number of times in the coming months for people in our church to do just that, to to be wise with money and to live generously. And that's kind of how this relationship began because there was this no strings attached kind of mentality. It was just their heart to give back, to partner with pastors and churches to help people uh, live generously, to be wise with money and live generously. And that was kind of the continuation of my relationship with them. And so if you're interested in learning more, I can't encourage you enough to head to Thrivent.com today. Here's some weird stuff we found on the internet. Here's some more weird stuff we found on the web. Welcome back to the Common Good Aim 1160 Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. That music can only mean one thing. That means it's the end of the show. Interweb insanity. We read crazy stories from the internet that we have not seen before we read them. So uh, we're going to do that in a second. But before we do that, I do want to remind you that during the coronavirus pandemic, We know that there's a lot of businesses that have had to close their doors or reduce their hours. Mm. We also know that there are still many businesses that are open and serving the public as best they can. That is right. If you own or run a business uh, that's open, we want to help you get the word out. So go to 1160hope.com slash open for business. That's all one word, 1160hope.com slash open for business. Fill out the brief form and we'll be compiling all of that information and sharing it with our listeners. Totally free. No catch. Go to 1160hope.com slash open for business. Also, another shout out to my friends who own Krabby Boil in Batavia. If you want the best seafood of your life, go to Krabby Boil. Krabbyboil.com. <laughs> there you go. That was kind of you. <laughs> well, I just think it's so good. Everyone should know about them. They're phenomenal. Well, in in the uh, radio world of making strange transitions, why don't you read our first weird story from Florida today? Oh, boy. Here we go. Ready? Judge reminds lawyers to get out of bed, put on shirts for Zoom hearings. Oh, Oh, boy. A Florida judge issued a letter to lawyers in his district reminding them to get out of bed and put on shirts before teleconferencing into online hearings. Judge Dennis Bailey of Broward Circuit Court, which had started holding some hearings virtually using teleconference app. Zoom. Have you have you heard of Zoom, Brian? I'm, I'm becoming familiar. Okay. Uh, said in a letter posted on the Western Bar Association website that conducting hearings outside of court is no excuse for letting decorum fall by the wayside. Here's the quote. It is remarkable how many attorneys <laughs> appear inappropriately <laughs> on camera. We've seen lawyers in casual shirts and blouses with no concern for ill grooming in bedrooms with the master bed in the background. One male lawyer appeared shirtless and one female attorney appeared still in bed, still under the covers. (laughs) Do you know you're not wearing any pants? Uh, The next one is out of the UK. 
Police receive emergency call reporting loud snoring. Hmm. Oh. A British police department posted a reminder on Twitter not to call the emergency number to report a neighbor's for snoring. The Essex Police's communications officer uh, tweeted that a call came in Sunday to the department 999 emergency number reporting that the caller could hear someone snoring loudly. An unusual 999 call came at this time of day. Report Caller reporting that they can hear someone snoring. Advice was given to them, and snoring is never a reason to call 999, <laughs> no matter how annoying it is. Uh, no, you got the wrong number. This is 912. Uh, so the theme so far today is things I can't believe authorities have to communicate to other people. Yes. <laughs> oh, gosh, this one has a picture, and it's terrifying. Uh, out of Indonesia. Indonesia deploying ghosts to scare people into staying inside and is actually terrifying. Oh my gosh. This photo is frightening. A village on the island of Java, there's an island called Java, have recruited volunteer ghosts to scare people into staying at home, but for some, they've had the opposite effect. <laughs> Indonesia's leader, including President Joko Widodo, Jokowi, wow, have been slow to react to the coronavirus pandemic and resisting a national lockdown. The capital, Jakarta, has ordered a two-week closure of offices and banned gatherings of more than five people, but has not directly ordered people to stay at home, as reported by VOA. Instead, uh, there have been inf- information campaigns to urge individuals to practice social distancing and good hygiene. But with the highest rate of coronavirus deaths in Asia after China, some communities have decided to take matters into their own washed hands. I see dead yeah, we're staying with another international flair. It's like all we do is international stories in Florida, basically. So we're gonna we have to we're gonna have to redo the rejoin and call it like here's some weird international stuff we found That's on the right. internet. That's right. This one's back from the UK. The naked cyclist bringing cheer to Somerset amid lockdown on his 70th birthday. Also, what the photo included. Many people already oh, for a big pun here. Many oh people would have cracked a smile catching a glimpse of this naked cyclist taking essential Gosh. exercise in lockdown mm-hmm. Somerset. Nikki Burkal couldn't believe her eyes when she saw the man and his companion in Frome. Oh, almost my name there, but with an E. Uh, in Frome yesterday morning. The man in the picture, uh, which was sent to spotted about Frome, is apparently well-known in the area with some identifying him as Dave, who is celebrating his 70th birthday. I was getting a coffee early in the morning for my drive to work. They rode past me, and I think it was 7.45 a.m., so it made me chuckle. She had to be quick to take a picture, but managed to capture the cyclists from the rear as they passed Locks Hill. Floor's all yours, <laughs> Mr. Nude. Well, that was fun. Uh, this last one, let's let's get local. I mean, not local. Let's get <laughs> U.S. of A. Out of Texas, Costco worker tracks down customer to return $194. A Costco worker in Houston is being praised online for tracking down a customer who left nearly $200 in cash behind at the store. Costco said in a post on its official Instagram account that the worker named Christina noticed a shopper left behind his change, which totaled $194 after checking out at the store near Galeria. Yeah, Galeria. Christina was able to look up the shopper's information through his store membership and called the man named John at home. She said John and his wife, Barbara, initially thought the call was a scam. But they were grateful when they arrived at the store and she handed over the cash. He didn't realize that he had forgotten the money, Barbara said. In these stressful times, we have been so very impressed with Christina and all employees at this Costco. From the excellent staff at the pharmacy to the greeters, cashiers, and stockers, most of the pharmacy employees and greeters know us by name. Now we are delighted to add Christina to our friend list. Hey, dude, you dropped this. Yo, man, you dropped this. 
All right, at least we're ending with a happy story. That's good. Yeah, we were in need of some of that, for sure. This segment had gotten weirdly dark. We went from Indonesian ghosts to a nice Costco worker. I think that's a good ending right there. (laughs) That pretty much summarizes the general gist of our show. (laughs) Well, thank you to Matthew Sorens and to Stephanie Williams O'Brien for joining us today. Tomorrow, we're going to interview David Fitch on Friday, Ed Stetzer. Uh, So we uh, would love for you to join us. For Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Thanks for joining us. You've been listening to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. We'll be right back. 